So Jesus, I thank you that you're a bridegroom first and foremost. And so in Love Month, I thank you that you are baptizing us in your perfect love. I thank you that anywhere where there's fear, where there's hiding, where there's condemnation, where there's feeling less than or feeling like an orphan, feeling left behind or feeling empty and bare. God, I thank you that those things are broken off tonight in the name of Jesus. We cancel the assignment against every woman's life. I thank you each woman here is a revivalist, that there's a call and assignment on each woman. And so, God, I thank you for awakening our vision to recognize the call on our lives, that as one body we move forward and we advance the kingdom of God, each person doing exactly their assignment. And so, God, I thank you that wherever the enemy has come in to kill, steal, and destroy, I thank you that a retribution force against the enemy would smack him to the pit of hell on behalf of every daughter. I thank you that destinies are so precious to you and that you are awakening and calling daughters into their destiny, God. And so we just believe that you're going to do something amazing and better than we expect. And so we just come like children with anticipation. We choose to open our hearts and to just let you pour in your perfect love right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So I like Abraham. He's a good friend of mine. I've hung out with him a lot. So um, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so often, and so after waiting patiently, uh, that's hard, Abraham received what was promised. It is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to lie. It says that it's impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So, a while back, well, okay, so how many of you have been a Christian for a while? Um, so there's lots of different seasons, ebbs and flows with the Lord. Um, and for me, I, you know, I know the Lord, and so I know how to minister, you know, out of a, a measure of his glory, right? Um, but for me personally, my heart was just kind of getting dry. And I can tell if I get burnt out, then I'm not flowing in his spirit, right? I'm kind of doing my own thing a little bit on accident. And so I was at church, and they said, ask the Lord for a vision, and so I said, okay, so I closed my eyes. I'm like, Lord, I need a vision. And I had a vision that my heart was closed, and it was like a storefront, that metal thing that comes over the window. And so I was like, well, what do we do without that? And he's like, ask, you know, open it. And so it was like that round thing that you roll up a store window. And it was like my, clo- my heart had closed. And I didn't know that it had because I love the Lord. I'm essentially in full-time ministry. I get to minister to people all day, every day. It's my passion. I love it. But... He's taking us from glory to glory, right? So there was an aspect of my heart that was a little bit closed, even though my spirit man was strong, I was still ministering, I was loving Jesus, having quiet time, going to church, doing everything I'm supposed to do, but there was a closeness to my heart that I didn't realize was there. So that caused me to have a lot of questions. So as a psychologist, you know, I'm pretty familiar with the psyche, 
which is the internal world, you know. And then there's that whole Christian thing where we're, like, really focused on the spirit and how do those marry. And God has me in very different camps. And those two do not get to agree. And yet somehow he wants me in the middle to understand the fascinating depth and complexity of the human psyche, but also the profound mystery of being a Holy Ghost-filled Christian with power and tongues and all these wonderful things. And somehow those have to be on the same page. So I'm starting to ask him questions about the heart. Um, so with our heart, that's kind of the seat of emotion. And I went through my uh, Bible dictionary thing and looked up all the verses on our heart. And so if you think about it, it says that we ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, and we also have to believe in our heart. So there's a lot that goes on with our heart that's all unconscious. Like I'm not really aware of what's going on down there, you know, and things can get kind of dry. And things can get kind of dull and boring, and it's like, all right, we've listened to that song already, you know. And if you're in that place, it's not that that's a bad thing. It's just like a diagnostic. It's like, oh, that means somewhere in my heart it's probably gotten closed. And so that's just good for me to know. Um, Going back to my patient that I talked about earlier tonight, um, she said my second praise report is that I was at church, and the guy was talking about, like, the spirit of mammon. And so mammon is like when you love money, not just money, but you love money. And so she was like, I've probably got that issue. And so she started feeling conviction, and then she started feeling condemnation. And so she was like, you'd be so proud. I said, no condemnation. I will be convicted, but I will not come under condemnation. So this is my encouragement to you tonight. That if anything I say, you start feeling, ugh, that is not from Jesus. He gives conviction, and it's like a clear, succinct, Shannon, don't do that again. Oh, the street Lord, thank you. It's not a vague, icky, bad feeling. So if anything I say, or any time you're at church, or not at church, anywhere, um, just know that condemnation is a spirit, and it will try to shut you down when the Lord is speaking something that's true and good, like a religious or condemning thing will start to make you feel icky and feel bad. So that client told me she's really proud of herself because she said no, and she just repented of mammon and then went on and and actually could listen to the rest of the sermon without her emotions doing all this weird stuff the rest of the church service. So caveat, we want to make sure that our hearts stay open and available because the reason I told you, which I know is totally bizarre, that I was punching Jesus last night, it's not because I'm sacrilegious or I have a an issue to hurt him or people in general. Um, but I just feel like he wants us to know how safe and secure we are in this relationship. It's just like if I had a toddler, and so if they're throwing a tantrum, I'm not going to give up on them and be like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with you, you idiot? I'm just going to be like, hey, I, I see that you're upset. I, I want to be right here. And when you're done, I'd love to talk to you about that. And I feel like that's how the Lord is with us. But sometimes our religion gets so in our head that our emotions don't catch up with the fact that he is crazy about us. And he really is crazy about you. And you can be a toddler and throw tantrums and be totally upset and totally real and ugly with him, and it actually produces so much more intimacy. Because I've tried this whole being good, being Christian, doing enough. And my spiritual mom prayed for me two years ago, and she's like, Shannon, your trap is that you try to do enough. You're trying to be good enough. You're trying to study enough. You're trying to perform enough. You're trying to please enough so that then God will be like, okay, now I can use you. And that's a trap because that still works. Because you still have to prepare, right? Like you still have to like get up and do your part. And so somehow I have to learn to how to live from the seat of my heart as opposed to from my works. Where when it's from my heart, the works are easy. It's like out of the abundance of my heart, I do these things. So getting back to our hearts. 
um, inside of your heart, I picture that it's kind of like Jesus put this really cool diamond on the inside of you, and that's like your true self. And that has like your personality, your temperament, your gifts, your talents, like all the neat stuff that's really unique to you. And then he puts us in an earth suit, and that's kind of like our soul. And then we have our body. So we have three parts to us, kind of like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We have different parts to us. We're really fancy on the inside. And so inside I have a spirit man, and that's beautiful. And then I have this soul, and I believe our soul is a blank slate, that your spirit man has all the cool stuff pre-wired, and then your soul is pretty blank. And you're going through life um, kind of figuring out how to do this realm. Right? I believe your spirit man was hanging out with God, and then he put it in this body, and now your soul is like, okay, I have to learn how to breathe and look at people and like talk and walk, and I have to learn a lot. And we know with orphans that failure to thrive, we've all heard of the you know, orphans in Romania and such, that if you don't pay attention to an orphan or a child, um, that it's going to actually die or become mentally retarded just from the lack of emotional attunement. So in our field of psychology, that's the biggest thing that we talk about is from zero to six, that's kind of a critical window. Like if you were wet cement in your soul, everything that happens at that age is kind of like very imprinting because it's your first exposure, right? Zero to two, I'm asking, is this world safe? Are my needs going to be met? Are you going to be here for me? Um, If I cry, will you come change my diaper? Will you cuddle with me? Is your face happy to see me? Is your face unhappy to see me? Um, Do you not come when I need you? All those questions are being asked in your soul. And so you're forming beliefs. And not too long ago, um, the Lord showed me a picture that I was a toddler, and I was just playing, and nobody was around. Nobody did anything wrong, not even my parents. They were not even in that picture in that moment. But the enemy just came, and I'm a toddler, and he just lied to me and said that I'm unwanted. I'm alone in that moment playing with my blocks, and he said, you're unwanted. I'm a toddler. I don't know any better. I don't have reason. I don't even have words probably at that point. And yet my heart took in a belief, and it went really, really deep that I am unwanted. I have lovely parents. I have a great life. I'm a Christian. I don't know that that belief is down there, but the enemy knows that that belief is down there. And he plants things when we're really, really, really young and very impressionable in our wet cement of our soul, where I'm starting to believe I'm good or I'm bad, or if I'm bad, you're not going to love me anymore. Kind of like how I was being ornery, and Jesus is like, I'm not going anywhere. There's nothing bad enough that you can do that will make me leave you. I'm just crazy about you, and I can't help it. He's not going to leave. There's nothing that I can do that's bad enough for him to leave. And so that's pretty exciting. When I get that out of my head and my heart starts to believe that, that'll revolutionize the way you live, right? So um, there has always been a history of me struggling with, like, being obedient when God says no about a guy that I actually say no. And so I've always wrestled and been kind of lukewarm in my obedience. Um, And so after I did my last conference, then a guy came in my life, pursued me, great guy, nothing wrong with him, but the Lord said no. Um, Of course, I didn't really take that as a no. I took that more as a suggestion, (laughs) and we were not on the same page. So that was really tormenting to be in disobedience um, because I really wanted it in my soul. Because when I was little... I was molested. And another lie the enemy told me is that this is the kind of love that will make you feel special because you'll feel important, you'll feel touched. And so some weird lie that the enemy told me is that I need a relationship for me to be okay. I didn't know I believed that. 
I didn't even remember the abuse until God brought it up later when I was working on healing stuff with him later. And so my whole life, I've kind of struggled, like broken leg in that exact same area. I can tell you that's real exhausting. Especially when you love Jesus and you're a wonderful, normal person, and all of a sudden a guy comes in your life and you like go crazy and, and can't hear him and everything is sweaty and overwhelming. And Because that area of my life, I didn't know. It was like a little girl had gone inside. She went into hiding. And so our, our psyche, there's lots of parts of us. And we actually have like, if you could picture like a little city inside. There's a part of me that regulates my mood. There's another part that just throws the tantrum. There's the part of me that's funny and silly. There's the part of me that's very serious. Just like Father, there's all these different parts of him, and yet he's one. We have all these different parts of us. And when a part of you gets traumatized, and trauma can be anything. The enemy lying to a child is trauma because that feels very scary and frightening. And so it showed, the Lord showed me, it was like I went into like a little castle inside. And I protected little walls to protect me, and inside that little castle, I was safe. Except I wasn't. A child thinks that they're safe when they go in hiding, right? They're going to go run and hide. So metaphorically and literally, a part of my soul had gone into hiding. A part of my heart had gone into hiding. And so that means this part of me is trying to hang out with Jesus and obey him, and this part... Not so much, kind of struggling. I kept going like sideways in that area of my life because that part of my heart wasn't in the light. It was kind of like in the unconscious. It was dark where I was hiding it. Does that make sense that we have a conscious that's like in the light and we have the unconscious that's like in hiding? And Jesus as a gentleman doesn't go where he's not invited. So he will be at the door knocking, kind of like in Revelation. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to unbelievers. He knocks at parts of our heart that we've pulled back, that we've hidden, that we've created a wall, and we kind of put that over here. And, of course, I didn't consciously know that as a child. I was very young when all those things happened, and so that all went into an unconscious hiding spot. And so um, I am now in the process, and every day he shows me something different, of now encouraging that scared little girl inside of me to come out of hiding. Um, So I had created these walls, and I see it in my patients all the time. Christian and non-Christian, that we have these little walls. We have these walled-off areas that we realize or sometimes don't even realize we have unsubmitted areas. And the problem is, is Jesus hangs out in the light. So that means if there's areas of me in the dark, that means the enemy knows exactly where that part of me is. So he knows how to come in the trap door of that part of me that's in hiding and knows how to say, did God really say that, Shannon? Did he really say no? No. Come on, come over here with me, stronghold. Okay. And then I just I just am hooked and I just go do whatever he wants. Even though I love Jesus and blah blah blah, I've got this area that's unsurrendered, unsubmitted because it's down here in self-protection because I'm relying on self instead of him to protect me. Making sense? So, with my walls, it feels safe. But the deception that the enemy doesn't want you to know is that actually in that place of hiding where I've pulled back my heart, the enemy has complete access to you. And the sucky part is there's a lot of Christians that pray and ask God and plead God for things, and then he doesn't answer. Can I tell you that if you have an area that's not surrendered to him, he can't force that on you. Like if I have an area where I don't trust God with my finances and I'm not tithing, and God's not going to bless me. But I'm praying, right, because I have an area where I have an unsurrendered part of my heart. And so he's not going to barge down. He respects our free will. 
If I have an area unsurrendered to him in guy area, so he's going to be like, okay, Shannon, like you're going to pray for that, and until you bring that part of me to me, part of you to me, or invite me into it, which is more realistic. Um, so when I did, and I invited Jesus into that part, I was like this. I was small and I was little, and I had my knees up. And he was so cute. He just came in, and he was much bigger than the little girl in my vision. And his knees were trying to, like, he's just too big to fit in there. But he's just such a gentleman. And he just sat and very, like, respectful and very nice. And he didn't force himself on me, but just present. And then taught the little girl inside of me to trust. So King David said, I learned to trust, like, at my mother's breast. So trust is zero to two, remember? Do I trust this world? Do I not? So if parts of us don't trust, odds are good. Like if you're like, man, I just have a hard time trusting God in this area. Or I just have a hard time trusting, you know, my friends or men or the church or pastors. I have a hard time. Then that tells you there's a possibility. There's kind of like a zero to two-year-old on the inside, if that makes sense, that a part of you, it's at the equivalent age that goes into hiding. Every other part of you matures and you're this age. And this is not like multiple personality or anything. This is all of us. This is totally normal. Um, in, in the world of psychology, we think about these things. So I know it's more normal for me to talk about it than maybe not everybody who thinks of this all the time. So for that part of you, um, that needs to now have an encounter of meeting Jesus. And so that's where you invite Jesus into that place. So for my client, who used to be very, like, performance-driven, and I need to be the best and worship you the most exuberant, for her to just be like, Jesus, I have a bad attitude, and find out that he loves her and he wants to sit with her in the bad attitude. He doesn't want her to perform and be busy and cute and praise him. I mean, praising him is cool. But in that moment, that's not where her heart was, right? How many times we override our heart, in order to try to get ourselves to do something. And last night, of course, I'm trying to be diligent and focus on tonight. And the Lord shows me some emotions I didn't even know were down there. And before I know it, I'm crying and I'm angry. Guys, I have no idea why I was even angry. But I knew it was so good because once I got whatever that anger was out, more of his spirit started flowing in me. Because remember how I said God can't lie? So every promise he said in Scripture is true Yes, and amen. And yet we don't live like it all the time, right? I don't. I don't live like all of this is true. I live statistically quite less than what this says is true. Um, And so that's because parts of my heart are not in the light where he has access. And so, like my little soul doesn't really know the Lord sometimes. It doesn't trust the Lord. And yet I get saved, Right? So now I have a new heart. I have a new nature. I'm a Christian. All these promises are absolutely mine. It's my inheritance. And yet I don't always live like that. And so this is where I conceptualize that you have a radical salvation. You accept Jesus in your heart. You're on a mountaintop and it's wonderful. In that moment when you accept Christ, it's kind of like your soul opens and you're like, yeah, I do believe this guy. This is awesome. Come on in here. And he gives you his Holy Spirit and you get all of these treasures and it's yours at the cross immediately. But what happens is where our soul has been wounded, that's almost like now this gatekeeper that can hinder the flow of Holy Spirit flowing in you the way you want. Because joy is mine. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, mine right now at the cross. I get saved, that's mine. But I don't live like that all the time. So that's where scripture is very clear about the process of sanctification. 
Where in psychology, we would say, you know, you do therapy, you work on your soul. Scripture calls it sanctification. Where you're saying, okay, Holy Spirit, this area of rebellion, of pride, of disobedience, of overeating, of emotional eating, of whatever, whatever your thing is, then you're now saying, I'm acknowledging this is here, and I want to invite you into this area. Because normally what we do is, Lord, I repent. I'm so sorry. God, I won't do that again. Which is me doing it, right? Which really what you're doing is actually suppressing the root issue even more. Me going against my own soul is usually not a good idea. I'm not going to win, right? Because I'm going to go against my unconscious. I don't even know what's down there. Um, But if I go Jesus, I'm recognizing that I have just a real issue with temper. And my anger is just, so Jesus, I invite you to meet my anger and find out why I'm so angry and let him hold and contain. And this is the cool thing about the Godhead is that Jesus, Father, and Holy Spirit are outside of time. So he can step into your emotion and your memory as if he was there in that moment, which he really was there, but your soul may not have recognized at that, at that time. And so what he does is he comes and reparents you. And that's why I talk a lot about visions. It's not like weird mumbo-jumbo. It's your imagination picturing, partnering with the Holy Spirit so that you're able to picture some of the stuff that he's trying to show you because he wants to reparent you. All of us from Adam and Eve have had imperfect parents that have done their best, who've tried their best, but they had parents who parented, and so they're doing the best they can and so on. And so now that leaves us and then our kids with all their junk. And so that's our job is to say, Jesus, I've got wounds right here. I've got rebellion. I've got pride. I've got disobedience. I've got sadness. If you have a problem of not experiencing joy, there's, there's a reason because it's yours. So that means somewhere in your soul, there's something blocking and hindering it. I pictured it while we were worshiping. It's almost like there's this boulder, like he has this geyser of life and energy. Like some days I can do, you know, 12-hour therapy days, no problem, no breaks. Some days it's like two hours, and I'm like, I can't, where's a coffee, like right now. Because I'm, I can tell if I'm ministering out of my soul and my energy level or if it's coming out of the wellspring of his spirit. And so what happens is we get these, like, little boulders that hinder the flow of Holy Spirit. That that wellspring is always ours, and yet these boulders come, and they kind of hinder. And then he also showed me a picture um, of a root of bitterness. And so for us to just be aware that where there's pain that I haven't addressed, pain will always have anger and sadness with it. Those are just granted. They're just always there. When you get hurt, you're always going to have anger, and you're going to have sad. I want to do a whole talk on anger once because I think anger is the most fascinating emotion and I love it. But for time's sake, I won't go into it. But anyway, you will have sad and anger always. If anger is not honored and validated and somebody say, yeah, that does suck. I hate that that happened to you. I'm sorry. If you don't get that, then it'll stay down here and just kind of fester. And over time, anger that festers will turn into a bitterness. And so if you're experiencing a a lack of flow, sometimes there's also just bitterness. Sometimes there's a boulder, like an issue or a part of my soul that's like, "Mm, I don't trust you. And for most people, there's an issue in my soul that just learned not to trust, that learned to kind of hide. And there's a thousand different reasons why your soul might hide at different times or a part of you. Um, But I felt like the picture Jesus gave me is like there's parts of us in this castle that we've constructed and we're like praying and we want Prince Charming to come and Jesus come rescue me, heal me of this issue, take away this depression, heal me of this thing, um, and not realizing that I've, I've taken the moat up, right? 
So if Jesus is always present, he's always here, then he's always here. And if you don't feel him, that means your soul man is not feeling him. Meaning your soul has created some kind of a block that you're not able to experience Holy Spirit in that moment. Because there's nothing wrong with your spirit, and there's nothing wrong with Holy Spirit. So there's something in my soul that creates a block. And that's a good sign for me, because I don't always know when my heart closes back up. It's a real easy, quick thing. I can feel scared, intimidated, overwhelmed. A thought can, you know, it can happen really easy. Um, and so for me, it's a regular practice to just picture, keep opening my heart to Jesus. I just keep opening, and I just have a mental picture where I'm just kind of doing this all day long. Jesus, my heart is open to you, um, and if there's anything if, then I know there's a part of my soul that needs to be paid attention to, because otherwise it's going to close my heart back up. Is that making sense? Yeah. So we want to have really, really healthy souls so that our spirit man gets to play and dance and have fun even in the midst of storms, right? He's going to be with you even on the worst of days and the worst of chaos, um, so I'll share this story. Um, I lead a, a discipleship group and I was sharing about the Holy Spirit and talking and just being really vulnerable and sharing some of my own stuff with people. And this brand new lady came in, um, never knew her. She came in late and I welcomed her and said, Hey, this is my house. Come on in. Um, and so she interrupts and she's like, Whoa, what is going on here? This is not God. And she named the church I go to, and she's like, this is not of the church. What, like, this is crazy. Like, what is going, is there anyone on staff who knows what's going on here? And it was, like, completely attacked. She called the guy that I minister with, David Haresh, or the, Koresh, the guy who did bad things. Um, and I can tell you, this is, like, the most pure-hearted guy you've ever met. <laughs> just real pure, innocent type heart. Um, so she's just, like, laying on it. And so we're trying to, like, soother and be like hey maybe we should you know back up and give you some context of how we're doing the group and blah blah and she's like no i have a degree in psychology this is ridiculous this is out of hand i feel protective of these people what is going on here and she's just being so dramatic um and i could feel my little like heart starting to race because i'm kind of a peacekeeper i like to like have open heart conversations so that was just really intense for me um so my heart's racing but i could hear my spirit man saying, God, thank you. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for the attack. And I'm like, whoa, what are you doing in there? I didn't retaliate, and I didn't attack her back. I just was like, hey, you know, maybe I could explain things a little better. I apologize. Maybe I'm talking too fast. And she's like, no. And then she just kept going on and really disruptive. Um, and the crazy thing is she didn't leave, right? So we had breakout groups where everybody's, like, sharing their emotions and, like, you know, doing all this stuff. And so they obviously don't put her in my group because she was really upset at me. Um, and so people are crying and sharing about their heart and Jesus and all these wonderful things. So she starts putting on her makeup in the middle of this. Like, it was just intense. It's like, if you don't agree, why don't you just leave? So then she went to our pastor who's over us and started saying that we're like that Koresh guy and like just out of hand. But the coolest thing is, is I think the assignment the enemy wanted to use is to undermine me, discredit me, um, and, you know, kind of get everybody to not like me in the group. Um, and so that was the immediate thought is they're not going to want me to lead anymore, you know. And it was cool that I didn't feel incompetent. I felt like I know what I'm talking about, but that they won't want me. And so my spirit man was thanking Jesus when she's doing it and immediately forgiving her in that moment. And I have to tell you, that was not my, that's not Shannon. <laughs> I'm not a saint. 
I'm a very normal, reactionary person. And to just be gracious and loving was totally Jesus. And what ended up happening is everybody kind of came around and was just like, we just love you. We really appreciate you. We think you're great. So it's kind of like the enemy will set a trap, right? Like with Esther, Haman set the noose for the Israelites. So the enemy came there to discredit me. And immediately, I'll tell you, um, I'm sitting there, woman's attacking me and won't stop. And immediately the, the thought of the enemy is, you have to speak on the sixth. You shouldn't even be speaking. You should never, you're not called, like all this stuff. Um, so I knew it was very demonic because I, I know that that guy's a jerk. But at the same time could hear my spirit man being like, Mm-mm, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for this. So then the next day, I just spent a lot of time with the Lord. And he showed me that wound of being unwanted. That that was the access point I didn't know, because I think I'm wanted in my conscious awareness, in my everyday life. I think people want me, but I didn't know until God used that situation to expose where the enemy had a trap door to me. Somewhere in my unconscious, and that's where the Lord showed me the toddler playing. Nothing bad happened, but in that moment, the enemy sowed a lie, and my heart went into hiding and believed a lie that I'm unwanted. So I come out of agreement with the belief that I'm unwanted. That is a lie in the name of Jesus. I come into agreement with the truth that I'm wanted. And that's when all this stuff where I don't have to be perfect, I can punch you, I can be mean to you, and you're not going to leave. And I'm not doing it sacrilegiously. It's more like a little girl throwing a tantrum and finding out you haven't left yet. There's nothing bad enough I can do to make you leave me. Like you really are just going to stay here with me for real. Like that's, humans can't do that. We can't do that for each other. And yet that's exactly what our soul needs. I need to know that you're not going to go anywhere, Jesus, because I've got issues. And I keep going back to the same crap. And I'm sorry, and I hate that I do it, Jesus. But you're not going to leave. There's nothing I can do that will cause you to leave me. You'll never abandon me. There's nothing that will make you want me any less. That's supernatural. That's something our theology, we all have good theology, we know that's true. But to get that in your heart, you live differently. To know that he's not going anywhere. Even when you're pissed off at him, because God, why'd you let that happen? Why did that happen? Where were you? Why didn't you protect me? I have to sit with people every day. Take the word have to. Get to sit with people every day who are going, God, why did that happen? I trusted you. Why did you let that happen? I have to sit, get to sit with people wrestling. I'm saying have to because it's hard. Like, I love Jesus, and it's hard to have to be like, well, that does suck. Yeah, that is kind of rough. <laughs> I won't lie. That's not cool. Uh, I don't know why that happened to you either. Um, and yet he, he's not going to leave when we get mad and we challenge him and we throw tantrums and walk away. He's not going anywhere. And we live differently. So the cool thing is if that woman didn't attack me, I wouldn't have known that. Daddy orchestrated a situation where, well, first, I was at church and two people randomly give me prophetic words that confirm each other back to back. I am called to speak, and you are going to awaken the souls that hear the Spirit of God through you, and you are called blah, blah. So confirms back to back. And then this woman says this two days later that I'm like, I don't know what she's saying, but it's just, ridiculous um and so in that moment the lord set up a scenario where first he said the truth about me right just like in scripture he tells us the truth about who we are the enemy comes in a thief to kill steal and destroy 
you're not called. You don't even know what you're talking about. I have a degree, and her degree is in colors. I'm not kidding. So her degree in psychology that she's telling me I'm incompetent, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, So in that moment, Holy Spirit now has an opportunity to show me where I didn't even know I had a wound that the enemy was going to try to use against me in my future. And so opposite happened. Our group is closer than ever. Um, Everything is kind of really sweet and good. And the Lord redeems it. But do you want to know how, like, reverent fear I felt the next day of, like, God, what if I retaliated? What if I defended myself? What if I said, excuse me? One, you're in my house. Two, you're a complete stranger. You don't belong to this group. Three, guys, I could have really, I could have really dishonored the name of Jesus with my mouth. That'll put some fear of the Lord in you. But because my spirit man is the guy who was in control in that moment, he's not always, sometimes my soul, um, because my spirit man responded with love and grace, the Lord used it as so healing and so redemptive. And I believe that the Lord is ministering to her, and we have a whole group now assigned to just praying for her. Because she's a daughter. She's a daughter of God. And now she has a very bad reputation, and nobody will let her minister. Because everybody now knows. I mean, she came to the higher-up pastors above us to tell how bad we are. So now she's like on a blacklist if that exists in church. I don't know. But they're just very concerned. Um, And that's sad because she's our sister, and that could be me. That could be you. We can all have attitudes sometimes. And I could have had attitude back with her. And I could have said something really smart and feisty. I could have. Exactly. But praise be to God that my spirit man was in that moment saying, thank you. Thank you for the attack. I forgive her, Lord. So then then he used it for my good and not my harm. That moment sucked. My heart's racing. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, these people don't want me anymore. This is so awkward. Am I? Am I doing something wrong, Lord? Like, I'm very concerned now because I want to please you. And now to feel like even if I do something wrong, even if I'm ornery and have an ugly attitude with you and I'm mad at you and don't talk to you, you're not going anywhere. There's a deeper security in my heart because of the attack. And that's hard because you still have to go through the attack, which sucks at the time. And so my encouragement is that we are daughters who open our heart, who every day just kind of keep opening our heart. And when something happens, I don't let condemnation or trying to stuff it down, but I just go, Jesus, here's this thing in my heart. Disappointment, grieving, sadness, pain. It's pretty much always going to relate back to pain. Maybe some pride. I don't know. Um, And so you just invite him into that place. And it leads to such a security, such an openness. Because here's my belief. Tonight, I had absolutely no idea what I was going to talk about. None. And I'm not kidding. Completely serious. So I had been typing on communication, because that's what I felt like the Lord wanted me to talk about. It's how to be effective communicators, blah, 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 blah. Um, So my wonderful Mac computer that has never had a problem in its entire gestation of being a computer, um, turned it into Greek gibberish. It's never done that before, and it's never done it since. So my whole hours and hours and hours of working on, we are going to talk about being effective communicators, is now in hieroglyphics. That's never happened before. That is weird. And so I was like, okay, I think you don't want me to talk about this after all. And he didn't give me anything else. 
So I had to walk up here completely blind faith. And sweet Cindy, right before I get up to talk, is just like, I know this feels like a confirmation. She probably felt silly saying it, but she's like, God just wants you to know he's going to give you the words when you get up there to talk. Because I didn't have any. And I was like, yep, that's confirmation. And not just like in a nice way. Like, that's for real. (laughs) So as we are living one day at a time, by faith, like Abraham, he waited patiently. Sometimes the Lord will release a promise over your life, and you're like, yay, this is amazing. Oh, my gosh. And then delay and delay, and it goes backwards. And you get attacked, and then you get demoted, and then something worse happens, and then this person maligns your character, and all these bad things happen. But the Lord who promised is faithful, that no matter what promise he has made you, he will perform it. And so that's where we learn to trust him. I learn to trust like an infant at its mother's breast. I learn to trust that even though this is hard, even though I'm in a battle, even though I'm being attacked, even though my finances suck, even though it seems like my life is going backwards, even though, Lord, I just choose to trust you, and today I'm going to open my heart back up even when this is hard. So after that whole event with that gal, the next day, I just, for me, I just prayed and fasted, and I just kept opening my heart. God, I don't want any pain, or I don't want judgment, I don't want to retaliate. And just that real fear of the Lord of, like, what if I had responded ugly? Like, I would have walked right into the enemy's trap. But because I didn't, thank God, then my heart just keeps getting open more, and I trust him more. And when the attacks come, I can trust him, because I remember he was faithful last time. And I build up that Ebenezer stone, and I go, God, you're faithful. I don't understand why this is happening, but I'm just going to keep opening my heart. I'm going to tell you that I'm pissed and angry and sad and mad and glad and whatever other emotion is coming out because it's an intimate relationship. He doesn't just want your church attendance and your Bible reading. He wants your heart because that's where spiritual warfare is. I always thought of it like this spiritual battle out here. We're fighting like Apostle Paul's like, know who you're fighting against. He's the territory's over your heart. You can be a Christian like our friend. She's very prophetic, the lady that said all that stuff. Very strong prophetic gift. Been in ministry for 30 years. The woman who said all that about me. Amazing daughter. She is a daughter of the king. And yet walking around hurting people. She didn't know me for more than five minutes. Interrupts and just starts spewing all this stuff. Guys, we don't want that. We want to go from glory to glory. Not stuck to stucker. (laughs) He's a good dad. And so when stuff happens, he's trying to show you, hey, pumpkin, there's an area of your heart that I'd love for us to be friends and you to find out that I'll love you even in that area right there. So i just going to have them play a worship song as we're just going to kind of picture opening our heart. And we got amazing prophetic words. But if you want to lay out and symbolically just open your heart, then feel free.
Daddy, I pray that tonight's words go embedded in gold letters into our hearts. I pray that we would be the most confident and brave and bold and lovely, ferociously gracious daughters on the planet. God, I thank you. The word you gave me before I got up here is that I'm speaking to revivalists. And so, God, in order to fully function in the office of prophet, of pastor, of evangelist, of whatever you're called to be, your heart needs to be fully ablaze, fully confident of his love. And in the process of sanctification, he's closing access points to the enemy. So as you submit and surrender when it's hard and it sucks, you are being prepared for the glorious march of when our king comes back. We are ushering in the presence of Jesus. We are heralding in our king, and you are a part of it. Each and every one of you have a call. We are all big and important and valuable. So if there is a voice in your head that says, I'm not, or it's not me, or I'm leftovers, I'm too old, I'm too young. Whatever the lie is, it's from Satan, and stop listening to it. There is revival that our nation needs now. I'm going to very dark places, hearing about really dark places, and it's awful. It's scary out there, and we need you to be revivalists. But we can't do that if we are wounded, because the enemy will sniper. He'll take you out. He knows exactly your weak point. If it's fear, if it's an issue of overindulging your flesh, whatever it is, Satan knows. He planted it there. He wounded you young, so he knew how to use it at the opportune time to destroy your destiny later. And I'm here to tell you, God is never going to put you on the front lines when he knows his pumpkin is going to get hurt. So like this lady that attacked me the other night, 30 years in ministry and her life is in a holding pattern. Because daddy loves her too much to put her in a position where Satan can use those wounds against her. Dad loves us when we're honorary and we're miserable to him and to his body. But he can't use you in the full extent of what he has planned for you until you submit those areas and go, okay, God, let's do business. My journaling time is a lot. Well, I'll read the Bible, I'll listen to worship. And then it's like, Jesus, what are you doing in my heart right now? What are you doing? What's going on? Why did I have that reaction to that person other, the other day? I don't assume it's the other person. Because if it's affecting me, it's something already in my heart. And God wants to bring revival first to your heart. So that you are unabashed, fully ablaze, fully on fire. And he can release you in the darkest places and in the lightest places, wherever he's called you. And it's going to be great because the enemy won't have access. And I feel like that's my call. Other people may share the gospel, 
Other people may serve and make amazing, lovely lady nights. I'm not going to do that. My call is to say, what area in your life have you not surrendered so that the enemy has access to you? God loves you too much to leave that inside. If it's disappointment, discouragement, doubt, unbelief, he's not mad that it's there. He's just saying, let me in. Let me in because I love you. And there is time wasting. There's time wasting in this hiding place in here. Come, let me have it. The full wrath of your anger, God can take it. In this life, we get disappointed. We get hurt. It sucks. There's an enemy, and he screws with our lives, and then he hurts other people, and then they hurt us. And it's awful. But we don't have time to stay stuck in that. He's saying now is the hour to let me into those places to claim I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a revivalist. I am a child of God. I'm on commission to do whatever I need to do. If it's at Walmart and there's a a little girl in front of you that just needs to hear Jesus loves her, then that's by golly what you're going to do. And if somebody attacks you to turn the other cheek and a kind word turns away wrath, that's supernatural stuff, guys. That's not coming from me. But because I keep letting him in to all my crap and my issues and I tell the world all my issues so that you know God really can use anyone. He really can. And once you give that area, it's not as hard as you think. I remember when he'd show me stuff and I'd be like, oh, my gosh, it's going to take forever. I have all these issues. And once I finally opened it up, it's done. It's done. He's really good at his job. You just surrender it. You release the emotion. You pout. You do what you need to do. And then you're back for the battle the next day to be Christ with flesh on for those people who are on assignment for your life. Because if that woman shut me down the other night, I see probably about 50 to 100 people a month, uh, different people. I see them back to back. So that's all those lives. I can't even tell you the hundreds of lives I've seen in therapy. And then the individuals I get to speak to publicly, right? And then I lead a community group, and I'm discipling. Not because I'm awesome, but because God's saying, I think you're ready. If that one person had gotten that dagger in me, and I had said, oh, well, maybe I'm not really called. Maybe I shouldn't talk anymore. Satan would have the victory. So some of you have believed lies. And I saw a picture as I was driving here. It's almost like these leeches have been sucking life and energy out of you. And I pray a righteous anger gets imparted into your spirit, man, that you're like, no more, no more, no more am I going to back out because I'm unqualified. No longer am I going to call off events because I'm not holy and qualified. No more. Today I say, yes, God, whether I'm qualified or not, you're calling me into it, yes. And then you know what you're going to (laughs) do? And then after that, after you say yes, he's going to take you through some sanctification where it's going to suck and you're going to have to deal with issues. But he calls you first. He called me and then I went into battle because he knew I can't take you into the next level until this issue gets resolved. So that little girl that believes she's unwanted, she's been believing a lie. I can't take you, Shannon, to the next level until this issue in your life gets resolved. So I'm going to let you go through an attack. I'm going to let you go through a hardship. I'm going to let you have something that sucks. And it's like, God, you've abandoned me. He hasn't. He's setting up a scenario for your freedom. When the Israelites went through the whole Esther thing, not only did they not get killed, their whole tribe got stronger. A bunch of people converted. And then they got, like, powerful and wealthy, and they have an annual feast. 
So sometimes the attack is not so much the enemy messing with you as God setting you up for promotion. How are you going to respond when the attack comes? Because he's watching. Who among you will be faithful that I can promote to the next level? You are revivalists. I'm not being nice. I heard the word of the Lord say, I am speaking to revivalists tonight. And I pray the fire of revival is so ablaze in your heart tonight that you can't leave here without saying, yes, God, whatever is in front of me. I don't know if I'm going to get martyred. I don't know what's going to happen to my life, but I've already written him a blank check. And I've said yes, because I think revival released on the earth is more important than my temporary happiness. The fact that I'm not married, the fact that I don't have a perfect life, the fact that's stupid. And I'm not going to let Satan make me discontent any longer because the hour is now for us to go into revival. And if I have any area of my heart where I'm discontent and poor me and all my little life, the enemy's got you in a trap of self-pity. And what you need is compassion. You just need to open that area where you feel self-pity and say, Dad, I receive compassion. Because that's the legitimate source of my need, as opposed to self-pity is the enemy feeding that need in you. That was an extra. So anybody who has self-pity, know that your real need is compassion. And Jesus wants to give you compassion. And he wants to tell you, I know, I get it. And I understand exactly what that feels like. And he wants to wrap you in his arms. And sometimes when I'm crying, I just picture he's got all these robes and I just wrap them around me. And I just snot all over his chest. And then I have more joy because something got lifted out and the geyser of revival just starts flowing through me again. And I have supernatural energy to minister to more people back to back to back to back again. Not because of anything about me, but just because he's clearing out, he's sanctifying, he's getting my soul healthy so that I can be all that he called me to be and all you have been called to be. So this is a really exciting time to be a daughter of the Lord. Because he's releasing commissioning. And I just see um, like those little general marks being put on your shoulders. So that's prophetic. You're welcome. (laughs) No, but I really do see that. That's awesome. So, God, I just release the mantle of revivalists in this room. God, I thank you that you're raising up generals. And, Lord, sometimes our assignments will not seem On the outset, glamorous. It will not seem like a revivalist call. But God, I thank you that even as you called me into psychology, that seemed real random. And yet you have turned it into revival. And so God, I thank you for each woman here. I pray that vision would be released. I pray destinies would be identified. I pray that they would recognize that thing that you've placed in their spirit, man, that it's like, God, if I got to do that, I think that would be the coolest thing ever. God wants that more than you do. And so, God, I thank you that you are releasing these daughters into ministry. You're commissioning them. You're blessing them. And then you're giving them the courage and fortitude to stay with it during the sanctification. When it's hard that they would not faint, they would not turn back, but they would continue to march forward. And, God, I thank you that these women will change the world for Christ. That the Azusa Street revival that started all of Pentecostalism and charismatic churches started with a a few Bible college students. God, you can start revival tonight with these women. So God, by faith, we grab a hold. Not tamely, but you said the, um, the righteous take it by faith. And so God, we grab hold of the revival mantle you're placing on us tonight. And I thank you that we are not going to be the same. I thank you you're taking us from glory to glory.
And Holy Spirit, I thank you for sealing this word that the enemy cannot devour it in any way. But as women go from here, Lord, that you would continue to marinate and draw things up into their awareness a little at a time as Holy Spirit leads so that their hearts are ablaze, fully healthy, fully aware that you are lovesick for them and that you've got great plans. In Jesus' name, amen.